Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, a major pharmacy chain has temporarily paused its flu shot program in Ontario due to an ongoing supply shortage. What's being done to fix it, especially during the flu season? Well, we'll delve into that. Skylar Williams is a spokesperson for the 1492 Landback Lane in Caledonia. He joins the program to provide an update on how things are and what they're looking for in future negotiations. And should parliamentarians face a pay freeze during the pandemic? I think you know the answer to that. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The medical professionals that we've had on the show over the last little while have all been uh, unanimous about this, that this year is more important than ever to get your flu shot because of what's going on with COVID and the flu. Problem is, I'm hearing from an awful lot of people over the last couple of days that uh, they can't get an appointment. Uh, and we're being told a number of things about shortages. Well, let's try to get the lowdown on this. Uh, Global Sandy Salerno sets the scene for us. Major pharmacy chain Rexall has temporarily hit the pause button on its flu shot program. They don't have enough doses of the vaccine to meet the demand. Health Minister Christine Elliott was asked about the supply issue. She says more shipments are on the way and efforts are being made to purchase even more doses in the event we need more than ordered. We are working with the federal government to get some from their reserve as well as from from international manufacturers. So I am very, very optimistic that we will be receiving um, larger shipments. Elliot says Ontario ordered 5.1 million individual doses of the vaccine this year, but says the demand is unlike anything we've ever seen. Sandy Salerno, Global News. I try to get some perspective on this. Please to welcome to the program Justin J. Bates, who is the Chief Executive Officer with the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Now, Mr. Bates, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Good morning. My pleasure. Good to have you with us. Uh, is there a shortage right now? Are we are we in a, in a, a dire circumstance here for those that want to get a, a shot and can't? Well, I guess it depend, depends on how you define a shortage. There are certainly supply chain issues. When you look at the high demand that we're experiencing in pharmacies, upwards of 500% when compared to this time last year, and that most pharmacies at this point uh, in the flu season, and we're still early on, um, when the flu season really typically comes into full swing at the end of the month and into December, when most pharmacies are now out of the vaccine. And we are expecting another shipment, but we don't know how much and when that shipment's going to come. How does the supply chain work? Maybe you could just give us a kind of a, a cursory view as to, as to how this goes and where it's coming from and where it goes. Mm-hmm. It's a great question, and it's a complex uh, web of various uh, components. And, and government starts the planning process back in February, looking at the Southern Hemisphere trends, uh, previous history of orders, and then, of course, what we would expect in terms of demand. So when the government uh, placed the initial orders into the spring uh, with the manufacturers, uh, it seemed reasonable that a 16% increase in orders would meet the demand. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it's not about laying blame about, you know, pharmacy or any other healthcare provider or government. It's we're in unprecedented times. And what we have seen in the real time information is coming back to us is that demand is outpacing supply. Many people are going into a pharmacy because of its high accessibility and the fact that it's very convenient. Uh, and in some cases, there's only one or two public health units running clinics for a large part of the population. And they come to pharmacy, they book an appointment, the pharmacy is expecting their shipments based on previous orders that they made, and it doesn't all come to them. So then they're in the unenviable position of having to call patients and to cancel appointments. The pharmacist wants to make this work for everybody. They are part of the solution to protect public health, but it can be uh, very challenging for them. 
it, it, kind of a surreal moment yesterday. I don't want to drag you into the politics of this, uh, Justin, but uh, the Premier was asked about this yesterday and said, well, it's great news that over a million people have already, uh, you know, had their shot, and that's fabulous. But uh, he's, he's, he's warning the, the pharmacies. He says, well, just don't book people. Don't overbook. Uh, if they want it, it's, it's customer demand. I, I, I don't know why he's trying to point the finger at the pharmacies for this, uh, because there's, as you mentioned, it's a rather complex supply chain that's going on here. But was there any way at all that anyone could have anticipated this much of a, a buy into the program? Because in the past, I, I know a lot of people that get the vaccine on a yearly basis, others that just don't bother with it. And even those people that uh, heretofore had not done this are all of a sudden saying, hey, I, yeah, I'm ready to roll up my sleeve this year. And this is a good problem to have, as you said, yeah. it, it really, it, what it does is underscore the importance and value of getting a flu shot, not just this year, but hopefully into future years to avoid um, flu-related hospitalizations, particularly during a pandemic when we know the system could be at capacity with COVID-19. I would say that it's, this is really important that we work together with all the stakeholders, with family care physicians, uh, primary care physicians rather, public health, pharmacy, and government to come up with solutions rather than laying blame here. I think pharmacists have really stood up and provided exceptional services in a very safe environment uh, since the pandemic. Uh, began. They've retrofit their stores, they've purchased PPE, uh, and they're using the appointment system to manage that high demand of patients and to do it safely. So to put the blame on pharmacists, I think, is unfair. Um, and I think it's really focus should be on what can we do to direct the supply to where the demand is? Because the demand patterns are changing, and they're changing for lots of reasons. Um, every year, we see more demand for the flu shot in pharmacies. We did 1.4 million Last year, we expect that to be exceeded this year. And again, that's a good thing. But at the same time, uh, if we don't have supply and we have the demand, that's really the core issue, not so much booking appointments. Is, is this a global problem or an Ontario problem? Is it, you know, the, 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 in, the huge influx here of people saying we want one this year and we, we haven't had them in the past. Is, is everyone doing that now? I think you're seeing a spike in demand, certainly globally, for vaccinations in general, and particularly the flu vaccine. My, my concern is that we learn from this uh, experiment that we just did and, and make sure that we don't repeat the same mistakes for when you roll out the COVID vaccine where we yeah. could see even greater demand given uh, everyone's awareness of uh, what COVID-19 has done to everyone's lives and the economy, public health, etc. So what I would say is that um, some provinces planned, like uh, Newfoundland would be the high watermark where they actually ordered enough for vaccinating up to 80% of their population. Ontario looks at about a third of their population with 5.1 million doses that were ordered, uh, up from last year's 4.4 million. It did seem reasonable, but clearly, you know, we very hard to predict uh, in these times. It's very difficult to model, but we now know where the demand is. So we have to do everything we can to get the vaccine in the hands of healthcare providers so that we don't deter or frustrate anyone. Uh, and in the end, they don't get a vaccine. You know, you raise a very good point about this. I, I guess if you want to look at this uh, as the glass is half full, uh, this could actually serve as, as 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 kind of a dry run for for when the COVID vaccine is going to be available, which we're told may be summertime of next year, sometime around there anyway, within a couple of months, uh, because you know there's going to be a demand for that too. So, I mean, now that we've seen that, uh, that you know, the demand has exceeded the supply, at least with this now, uh, you'd like to think that the government and those that are going to be supplying the supply chain are going to take that into consideration when they start looking at, at, at getting that vaccine out. 
Yeah, and I think working in a transparent fashion and collaboratively with stakeholders like pharmacy, like uh, primary care physicians and public health units to better understand where's the demand patterns, um, where how do we allocate the supply that's coming in so that it meets the demand patterns of where patients and the public are going to get the, the vaccine. At the end, we're all in this together. Uh, we need all healthcare providers at their maximum capacity to vaccinate uh, uh, all residents of Ontario and, in fact, across the, the country. One advantage pharmacy does have is the convenience factor that we're certainly accessible in every community. We have over 4,600 healthcare hubs, which we call uh, pharmacies, and we're all uh, trained and, and set up to uh, to manage this, and we've been doing flu shots since 2013. So this is not new to us in terms of uh, how to operationalize this. Um, you know, the differences this year really is just the uh, tremendous demand, and uh, we've utilized technology, wait lists, apps, uh, websites, and uh, booking appointments to do that in the most safe manner as possible. And, and it's always been done by appointment. At least my pharmacy has. Is that, is that the protocol for everyone? I think this year you're seeing more appointments just because of uh, the challenge of maintaining uh, safe distancing in the stores to uh, be able to manage uh, patients in, in a cycle that makes sense to have the appropriate sanitation procedures in place and not have people lined up uh, mm-hmm. in close proximity. Um, there are still some walk-ins available, so it will vary. But traditionally, this has been a, a walk-in type of uh, service. So. It's on-demand, uh, didn't require an appointment in previous years. But, of course, the pandemic has changed a lot of the way we practice um, to ensure that we keep pharmacy uh, staff safe as well as uh, the public. Maybe we should uh, back up just a bit here, Justin, and, and remind people uh, that the flu shot uh, it is not going to offer you protection against the COVID virus. Uh, uh, these are two things that are separate and apart, but uh, the impact that they could have on you is very real. And we've heard that from medical professionals uh, for the last couple of months now. Uh, that it's more important than ever because of the, the, the presence of the, the pandemic uh, to get the flu shot. Because uh, if, if we have a, a, a flu that's going to ravage our population like the COVID virus has, uh, it could be devastating to situations like this. And uh, this is offering a protection uh, against something that can be very deadly. The symptoms are very similar. Uh, so having the shot is, is at least going to clear that picture to say, okay, if you're starting to have symptoms, uh, maybe you should explore the other thing. And we have, a, a I guess, a test case for this too, don't we? Because Australia just came out of their winter and their flu season, uh, and of course they had that that two-headed monster of the flu and uh, and the coronavirus at the same time, and found out that there were far fewer flu cases flu cases than they thought. Because first of all, people got the shot, and second of all, they were taking precautions, masking, etc., like this. So we know what defense we have to have now, don't we? Absolutely, and I think the um, certainly looking at the experience of what uh, took place this past flu season in the Southern Hemisphere does provide some very valuable insights and data for our planning purposes. I think the restrictions in terms of uh, social distancing and uh, looking at um, you know washing your hands more and uh, also the sanitation procedures that are in place throughout uh, whether it's a restaurant or a healthcare provider will contribute to reducing the number of flu cases this year and and you mentioned that the two-headed monster you know often referred to as a twin demic our our hospital system just simply doesn't have enough capacity to deal with an overwhelming number of seasonal flu cases coming in 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 addition to uh, COVID-19 patients so it's always important to get the flu uh, shot I mean there's a number of deaths that are related to the flu seasonal flu every year 
I think just the heightened awareness now because of the pandemic um, has created uh, a great uh, opportunity to continue to uh, emphasize the importance. Um, and that's why we're seeing, I, I believe, a spike in demand. So it's a good problem to have. Um, but, you know, when you've ordered 5.1 million for a third of the population, uh, number of doses, you know, I think we can look at this as an example for how to go about ordering in the future. You know, you raise, I want to talk about something else here, too, because we, our family rely heavily on our pharmacists and our staff over here at our, at our local pharmacy because they're, they're a wealth of knowledge on an awful lot of stuff. And I was talking to them the other day about these shots, and I, I was not aware before this year that there's actually a, 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 a two different kinds of, of flu shots that you can have here. Uh, just as we've talked about people that have pre-existing conditions uh, could be more prone to, uh, to, to the coronavirus, uh, you also could be more prone to the flu with this. And there's kind of like, a, I guess, a heavy-duty shot for people that are, I guess, uh, in, in seniors and, and maybe with pre-existing conditions, especially respiratory conditions. So that's that's really something you need to talk to your pharmacist about, isn't it? Absolutely. You should talk to your healthcare provider about the uh, certainly what, what works for you. It should be uh, individualized based on your personal health uh, conditions and circumstances, and that's the value of having a healthcare provider like a pharmacist to review your history, health conditions, and then re- make a recommendation on which uh, which strength the dose would be most suitable and appropriate for you. So largely the high-dose flu is available for seniors, those 65 and older, because as you age, your immune system um, gets uh, less and less effective. So the high-dose flu helps compensate for that with a stronger dose. But for the vast majority, the regular dose um, is also very effective. It's been interesting to see the evolution over the last couple of years of, of the role that pharmacy plays in healthcare. Uh, it used to be, uh, you know, got to go to your doctor, got to get this, got to see an appointment, have this, then you get a script or whatever it might be, and then you're going to get it filled. Uh, but governments seem to understand the importance of, of the of the pharmacist in this role. And uh, the, yeah, as you mentioned, since 2013, the, the you know the, the program here with the flu shots has been one thing. Uh, sometimes renewal of prescriptions without having to go to a doctor. There seems to be, a, I think, an acknowledgement now that the that, that the pharmacist plays a key role in our everyday healthcare. Uh, you don't always have access to your family physician or a physician at all, but you can you can rely on that information from your pharmacy. Absolutely, we're the most highly accessible healthcare provider um, in every community. We operate in remote, rural, urban, suburban communities across the province and across the country. So I think those 4,600 points of care pharmacies uh, can be better leveraged um, to tap into the expertise and training of the pharmacists. Most people don't realize that pharmacists uh, have almost as much training as any other healthcare provider. Um, in fact, there's a PharmD program that um, is a six-year program, and uh, that allows for even additional uh, services around prescription uh, authority. And you're seeing it in other provinces. Alberta has the certainly gold standard where pharmacists can prescribe and offer a number of community-based services that increase the timeliness to care uh, and uh, certainly help you manage your health. And I think that's really where it's not just dispensing and product focus. It's also very much a service model of managing the patients through their conditions and that accessibility and trust between patient and pharmacist is so important. Just as we wrap up here, I, I know that you're really kind of at the behest of the supply chain here, Justin, but do you have any sense at all as to when this, this shor- the shortage, we'll use that phrase just so people so know what we're talking about, uh, is going to be alleviated and there's going to be supply for everybody that needs it? Is it going to be days, weeks? What do you think? 
Well, we are expecting another shipment. The manufacturer shipped the uh, flu vaccine in waves, uh, and I think the final shipment comes in the next week or two from manufacturers. Um, the program actually started quite early this year, yeah. on October 5th, when Public Health started shipping out uh, doses um, to the various healthcare providers. So, you know, depending on whether this normalizes, because a lot of it's been load balanced up front with the demand and people rushing to get a flu shot, um, it'll be hard to say until we can deconstruct at the end of the year, you know, exactly where we landed in terms of the supply and demand. But um, at this stage, you know, we're trending below what we received last year. So unless we're getting more in the next uh, week or so, um, you know, there still could be some challenges, at least through the pharmacy channel of getting uh, a vaccine. And our ask of government is to re-examine the allocation amounts based on the demand patterns. We typically get about 30% of the overall provincial supply. And we think that needs to evolve based on where patients are going to get the flu shot. Well, we'll still track the story and see what's going to happen over the next little while. Uh, busy time for you. I really appreciate you taking some time for us, Justin. Thank you so much. and Stay well. You too. Thank you. Justin Bates, uh, Chief Executive Officer with the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Uh, may not get your flu shot this week, but uh, he says there's more coming, and that's, that's what we're hoping to hear. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Concerns still about what's happening in uh, Caledonia. Of course, the land dispute continues up there, uh, what is now called the 1492 Landback Lane in Caledonia. Uh, joining us to give us an update on this is uh, Skylar Williams. Uh, Skylar, of course, is a spokesperson for the group that have been occupying that territory uh, for some time. Uh, Skylar, thank you for joining us on the program. Good to have you with us this morning. Absolutely, Bill. Good to be here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in the here and now right now. We've, we know about the occupation. Uh, we know that uh, uh, there have been injunctions that have been imposed. Uh, we know there have been a number of things happening. What's happening right now as you talk to us? Where are you and, and, and what's the status up there? Oh, right now I'm sitting down on Landback Lane. There's, uh, I don't know, I see about 50 cars in the driveway and it, lots of people laughing, talking, having, you know, coffee by the fire. And, yeah, I know there's uh, lots of stuff going around around building and winterizing, making sure everybody's going to be good and comfortable for the winter months ahead. So you guys are in this for the long haul? Absolutely we are. And, I mean, I think we've been... Uh, saying that since day one, you know, like this is, uh, everybody keeps talking about, you know, land claims and what land claims in this country look like. Uh, land claims in this country are all about money and our community, like every other community across the country, every city, every town, you know, in order to grow and thrive as communities, they need to be able to grow and expand their borders. And so, you know, what, our communities, uh, are the only ones, the reserves, are the only communities in this country that are, have steadily gotten smaller. And so you know what? We've, we, we've said over and over and over again that uh, we need the same opportunities that, that communities off the reserve want, want and are able to. Have you had any contact, any conversation at all with any of the quote-unquote officials that might have some sway in this? Uh, so, yeah, Mark Miller and uh, Carolyn Bennett have both, uh, although dragged their feet, quite heavily on the issue have um uh both uh, said that there's uh, some commitment to um having these uh, negotiations with our community and um hopefully with uh uh in the next few days here we'll see some movement in that regard but you know i'm i'm not holding my breath as this is day 108 today yeah 
this this is the concern. I mean, you know, we heard the same sort of thing back in the Douglas Creek days too, and not a whole lot happened there. I, just for the sake of our listeners, by the way, Carolyn Bennett is uh, the Indigenous Relations Minister for the federal government, and uh, uh, Minister of Indigenous Services is Mark Miller. So both of them have been in touch with you. Did they make any commitment about time that, as to when they actually want to begin any sorts of negotiations or discussions? A uh, couple of months ago, they had said that they are going to be uh, looking to get those negotiations going on in the next little bit, and then they dragged their feet and stuttered along, and then... Uh, more police violence again, um, uh, some women in our community and uh, uh, elders in our community were at Gunnestado, which is the former Douglas Creek Estates uh, site, were um, uh, unfortunately behind where uh, the uh, police were shooting rubber bullets, and uh, 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 one of our guys was hit in the back, and uh, OPP put out a propaganda video of you know, one one minute clip of uh, the 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 actions that happened after the those shots were fired into our community, and that again that uh, Benestado was is there's no injunction here. There's no reason that anybody would have anything to say about them sitting around the fire uh, there, and uh, and for whatever reason uh, they had no regard for what was what was behind what the police were shooting at. And you know what? This is a somewhat typical reaction, I guess, from um, uh, the OPP or police in general, certainly as it comes well, there's, to... Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of controversy about that. I think many of us have seen that video. Uh, and we, nobody wants to see confrontation. Uh, that seems to be the concern and, and, and some of the violence that occurred with Douglas Creek. Uh, when and if you you get that sit-down or that conversation, Skylar, uh, what's your position? What are you looking for here? Do you want to stay on that land? Are you looking for financial compensation? What's 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 the goal here? Uh, well, we as a community of uh, the folks that have uh, um, been here at Landback have never never wanted anything around financial compensation. This is about land back. And we need to be able to expand our borders and uh, additions to reserve process that has been uh, started in uh, 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 federal government process for adding um, adding to reserve land is one that's broken. And we've not been able to see anything uh, in any community to see uh, those reserves get bigger. So this is this is about land, and I, I've heard you and others mention that uh, as they've been interviewed by the media over the last little while. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting discussion, and here's hoping that the minister gets a hold of you sooner than later, and uh, we can get some resolution to this. Uh, Skylar, I know your time is tight. We really appreciate this. Uh, please uh, stay in touch with us, and uh, and uh, we'll continue to watch the situation there, and hopefully there'll be some positive developments in the next little while. Absolutely. I, I, I hope for the same thing. All right. We'll talk again soon. Skylar Williams. Again, Skylar, thanks so much for this. Uh, the Bill Kelly Show, 980 CFPL and 900 CHML. Uh, I want to talk about money and finances and, uh, and our elected officials uh, and our folks up in Ottawa, especially with the federal government. Uh, you may recall... Back in the recession of 2009, you remember that? Yeah, it was a pretty ugly time. Uh, both the federal and provincial governments had to get together, and there was a bailout for the auto industry, and uh, the recession, you know, 
people lost their jobs. It took us a long time to dig ourselves out of that hole on both sides of the border. Uh, one of the things that bothered an awful lot of us was during that whole thing and that economic strife that many of us went through, our elected officials especially continued to draw their pay. As a matter of fact, they got a pay increase. Uh, as per their agreement. Uh, I'm talking about the members of Parliament, of course, uh, because there's a little clause in their agreement that says no matter what the economic circumstances is, these guys are going to be made whole. And they also got contributions into their pension funds as well. Well, there's one senator that's saying, looking around now and looking at the pandemic and the economic problems that it's causing, and she suggests that parliamentarians should have a pay freeze during the pandemic. Interesting idea. Uh, she is Senator Lucy Moncion. She's an independent senator from the province of Ontario. And uh, Senator Moncion joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Uh, senator, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us today. Oh, glad to be with you. And Good thank to you have for the, the invitation. Well, it's great and a very innovative idea, uh, not something we usually hear from uh, the folks up on, on Parliament Hill uh, when it comes to something like this. Maybe you could give us some background as to, as to how you came up with this and why you floated this idea. Well, first... First and foremost, in uh, last April, when uh, the automatic pay hikes came in for uh, parliamentarians, um, we were, in, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, and I think we were, most of us were uncomfortable in receiving a pay hike, an automatic pay hike. And um, so some of us uh, had decided then that we were going to be uh, giving our pay hike back to charities uh, during the year uh, so that it would counterbalance the amounts that we're receiving. Uh, but then, because I'm on the uh, group that prepares the uh, budget for the Senate, um, I started looking into this and to see how this could be brought into this year's budget before it is approved by the government. And uh, that's when I understood a little bit better than this is an automatic pay increase that is within legislation. And in order to change this, it has to be uh, changed through a, a bill that has to come from the House of Commons. So this is to start the conversation at that level with the parliamentarians. Now, it is also a way of uh, getting people to think of their pay increases, whether you're a, a government employee at the federal level, the provincial or the municipal level, everyone who's benefited from pay hikes this year and haven't been impacted through this pandemic with their salaries, uh, you know, maybe need to think about this and how we can all uh, uh, contribute um, to the reductions, maybe for a year or two or three of uh, the automatic increases that we receive um, just so that we can counterbalance uh, what's going on here in this country. Senator, maybe you could explain to our listeners uh, about the process here. I mean, you know, I, I don't want people to say, hey, well, these guys voted themselves a raise. This was predetermined. These, these are all scheduled, are they not, based on, on uh, the, the, the deal that's worked out between the elected officials uh, and, you know, the, the, their pay, et cetera, et cetera, contributions to pension funds and things of this nature. It's, it's predetermined, and this is just, this came up. It was time for it, in other words. Yes, uh, and like you said, it's something that is already written into the, the, the legislation. So there, in order to even change this, we have to uh, legislate on this. And what I am proposing is that the government looks into this for this year and the next few years, and um, if they see fit to change the, 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 the rules, then 
it, now is the time to do it and to look into this and see if it's something that can be looked at in the future. A lot of times people look at the work that is done from, from the parliament and it's easy to point to them and say, well, you're, you're overpaid and you're underworked and, and you should be, you should be the people who, who are, um, you know, reducing your salaries. And I'm thinking, uh, first, I'm not underworked. I am overworked. But then people don't know that. And it's not, uh, it's not the sympathy that I'm looking at uh, for here. It's just uh, understanding that everyone works hard for their money. But this year, because of the pandemic, we need to think long and hard about how we want to deal with the future and, um, you know, re reducing our salaries. And just to give you an example, just by reducing or not providing the pay increase, you're looking at a, a, a savings, and it's not much. It's 1.7 million. But over three years, that 1.7 million equals to 10 million dollars, a little bit over 10 million dollars of money that will not be spent on salaries going to parliamentarians. And that's just on a small scale. So if you look at this and you, you broaden it and you bring it to the, the, the provincial legislation and, and the municipal legislation, well, you're looking at, you know, a lot of millions of dollars that are being saved, or I, would, I shouldn't say saved, but they're not being spent, and they're used on other areas where it's needed. And the other challenge that we've had is that a lot of people this year were working from home, so there was a lot of reduction in costs, like going to work in, in restaurants and whatnot. And what they've used the money to do, to do, to, to, to which end they've used their money. I've provided much more money this year to charities, and I've always been, you know, I've always provided to charities, but this year the amount is much higher, and, it, and I've been very comfortable providing that to um, the, the, the food bank and all kinds of uh, uh, organizations that are in need of these monies right now to help the people who haven't had a salary this year and who've been impacted more than the, the, the people that are on salaries have. Well, I know that uh, I, I, the politicians have, have been loud and, and, and vocal about, uh, you know, the, where's the money going to come from for a lot of these assistance programs during COVID. Uh, as you say, this is not going to solve all the problems, but if you can defer or, or, or channel this money uh, over to some of those programs for people, as you mentioned, said it are really needed, I think it's an outstanding idea. I got about a minute left here. Uh, I know you've talked with some of your uh, fellow senators about that. Is there an appetite to move forward on this? Yes, and actually, some of them have provided. Uh, this was just a conversation starter, mm -hmm. and some of my colleagues have said, "Well, we can extend this." to free salaries elsewhere in the uh, public services. And I'm, and I'm saying, hey, it has to come from somewhere, and we have to start somewhere. So, yes, my colleagues are in favor of this. Senator and I, Gehe hope, oh. I sure hope that they're going to vote on this this week so that we can send a clear message to the House of Commons. Certainly hope so as well. I think it's a fabulous idea, and I, I applaud you for the initiative on this. You certainly have been a catalyst for the discussion, and we're going to follow this story and just see how uh, uh, the Senate and hopefully, ultimately, the, uh, the House uh, respond to this. Senator, thank you so much for taking some time for us today, and good luck with this. Thank you, and welcome. Take care. Bye -bye. Senator Lucy Monciano, of course, Independent Senator from Ontario. Pay freeze. 
for uh, members of parliament and for senators and maybe even some other people in, in, up in Ottawa these days. Not a bad idea, at least you know, while the pandemic is on. Uh, share the pain just a little bit. I mean, they're well compensated. I'm not going to get into the overpaid part of this now. That's a discussion we can have later on. But why, why, why can we just for a few months, why can we not say, yeah, you know what, you're doing all right, guys. Uh, let's channel some of this money over to people that really need it, at least for, until this terrible pandemic is over. We'll see how the debate goes in Ottawa. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.